Chris. Chris. Check, check. Amen, church. Amen, church. How's everyone doing this morning? All right, let's make our way to our seats. We're going to get started with our worship. Amen? Amen. And please turn off your cell phones.
song, Lord, I lift your name on high.
Good morning, everybody. How are you feeling on this nice, cool, rainy morning? I'm loving it. Well, I want to start off this morning by reading to you a passage that has been on my heart the last couple of days. Uh, it's one of my favorites. It's in Hebrews 10. And uh, the writer here, the Hebrew writer, is trying to remind us of what we get to have under the new covenant because of Jesus. That we don't, we're not coming to worship full of guilt, trying to bring a sacrifice, trying to bring something to, to pay for where we're at because Jesus has already done it for us. And in verse 19 it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through his curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. You know... Some of the irony of even just what happened there is uh, this morning, even as a worship team, we were reading this scripture together and praying about the reality is what we get to do here right now is something that we, we don't totally connect with most of the time. That in the Old Testament, you would have had to come to worship with a bull on your shoulders ready to sacrifice because you were guilty. But because of what Jesus has done for us, we get to come to church to sing our hearts out to connect with God with no restrictions, nothing getting in the way. And he says, he says, because of this, man, we need to draw near to God. But just like that little distraction noise shows us, 
That's not always easy. Sometimes drawing near to God comes with weeding through a bunch of distractions, turning the phone off, and this person over here, wow, they're wearing something weird, or man, this guy, I don't like the way that, that guy looks right now. We want to clear all that out and remember that we are here to bring praise to our God. Amen. So we're going to say a prayer here in just a moment, but we definitely want to thank you guys. If you're visiting with us, hopefully you're in the right place. This is the Inland Empire Church of Christ Rancho Ministries. Thank you so much for being here. Um, yeah, go ahead and clap. Um, you know, what's exciting here, we're going to show a video after I pray, uh, is that we're gearing up because on May 21st is our annual special missions contribution. And as a church, once a year, we get together, we sacrifice, we pull our money because we want to give to the mission work that God is doing here in the Inland Empire, but as well as internationally and in the Middle East. And so we do have a good news video just to try and prepare our minds and hearts for that. And so please, let's keep having that on our minds as we pray and as we prepare for the next two weeks. Uh, but actually, a, a special prayer right now, we wanted to ask you guys to please be praying for the Boss family. They're our brother and sister in, uh, in Riverside. Angie's son uh, passed away this week. Son? Is that right? Janetta? Son? Canel's brother. Okay. Canel's brother passed away. So we want to please be praying for their family and just as, as, they're, as they're needing comfort at this time of their life. Right? So we're going to say a word of prayer. We're going to pray specifically for them, and then we're going to watch a short video. Father, we just want to thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to draw near to you with full assurance and confidence. Uh, we know that that's not because of something that we've deserved. It's not because we're just all of a sudden better, but it's because of what Jesus was willing to do for us. And Father, this morning we do want to draw near to you. I pray that you help to clear out distractions. Help us just to engage with you, to sit at your feet in praise uh, through every element of the service here today. God, I do want to pray in a special way for the Boss family with the passing of Canel's brother. Please, Father, we want to pray that your, your hand is, is, is over their family. Help them to feel your presence and your comfort right now. Just wrap your arms around them, even through uh, our brothers and sisters in the church. Uh, but I, just, I, I really pray that you just continue to work, work through that. God, we know even, even in tragedy like this, you are working miracles. So, Father, I want to pray for their family. Uh, pray for uh, the work that you are doing here in, uh, throughout the world, uh, but here in the Inland Empire as well. We want to lift up the rest of our, our morning to you. In the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. The desperate. people need help. They need your help. So first, we want to say thank you. Thank you for giving to Hope Worldwide. You contributed and sacrificed on the International Day of Giving. By doing that, you are advancing the healing ministry of Jesus, providing the foundation of resources to operate Hope Worldwide, and strengthening vital programs in over 60 countries. All this because you care and chose to give. And we absolutely could not do what we do without your help. So again, thank you from Hope Worldwide. But we aren't the only ones grateful for your sacrifice. Thank you on behalf of those who are suffering who perhaps would never have been reached. 
on behalf of those who will be struck by disaster this year. On behalf of the thousands of men, women, and children who will be treated in Cambodia. Thank you. On behalf of the thousands of orphans and vulnerable children who will help this year throughout Africa. And all of those individuals who will be helped through our chapters throughout the United States. Around the world. And so many more. Thank you. Thank you. Your support of Hope Worldwide is making a difference. Together we are bringing hope to a hurting and suffering world. To those that live in war zones, disaster areas, to those that are suffering from the vicious cycles of poverty and disease, and the millions of orphans left behind because of those things. So from all of us at Hope Worldwide, thank you. As we prepare our hearts for communion, we're going to sing a couple songs together.
Amen. Well, church, I am very honored to be able to share with you this morning. I'm a little too tall for this. But it is an honor to be here this morning. Uh, my name is Kyle Lounsbury, for those of you who don't know. And I am a part of the awesome and mighty Cal State Ministry. Come on. I need, I need some energy, guys. Come on, Cal State. Darren, amen. Um, and in the Canvas Ministry right now, we are going through a series um, called Increase Our Faith. And it's an awesome series we're learning about, just different ways that we can grow in our faith and uh, really ultimately increase it. And the last, um, the last lesson that we heard was about who are some people in our life whose faith we want to imitate. And I was going through and I was thinking about it. Um, and there's a lot of awesome people in my faith, in my family and in the church. And there's different people whose faith I want to imitate. But then the question was flipped and was asked, is your faith worth imitating? And I was like, wow, that's a good question. Um, is it? I don't know. And so as I I was looking through it, I came across a passage in Mark 9, if you guys could be turning there with me. In Mark 9, verse 17, we'll be picking up right there. In verse 17, it says, A man in the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the Spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on him, or take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. We'll stop there for now. Here we have this story where there's this father and this son. And this son has an impure spirit in him. He's got this demon in him, that, that, and he's living He's he's going through these seizures, it says, gnashing of his teeth, he becomes rigid. And as I was thinking about this, I started thinking about, how can I relate this to my life? What, What about this relates to me? And I started thinking about, well, this is something, this is like, for example, something in my life that can be an issue or maybe a struggle that it feels like I can't overcome it on my own. Obviously, this this father felt like, Lord, if you can do anything, if you can, he says. He asked Jesus, if you can. I don't think he was realizing he was talking to Jesus. Because he asked him, if you can. I mean, it's Jesus. So I was. whenever I think of Jesus, I mean, I just think of somebody drinking a cup of water and just spitting it out like, did he just say that? It's Jesus. But then I also think he's at such a low point in his life where he's, it says his son has had it since birth. And he's, he's stuck there. He's like, 
if you can, take pity on us, please. You know, it's hard. It's hard for me to miss the power of Jesus in the cross when there's different struggles and different challenges in life like this. For me, um, personally, I, I have a lot of, I, I lack a lot of faith um, in my aunt. She has a drug addiction, and um, it's tough. It's really tough to have a lot of faith in God's plan. It's tough to have faith that, um, that he's going to be working in it. It's tough to have faith that my little brother doesn't get to grow up with his biological mom. Can be, I, I can't be so faithless. And in verse 23, this is where God says, Jesus says, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. I miss this sometimes. I miss the real power of Jesus and the cross and His sacrifice. I can miss that, you know, maybe, maybe she will make it. Maybe she won't. But it's ultimately up to God. But at the end of the day, God is still working. He's working through my lack of faith. And today is actually my aunt's one-year sobriety. And we're actually going to be having a celebration for her. So that's super encouraging. Um, and it shows, that, it shows that even when I am lacking so much faith, that God is still working despite all of it. We serve an awesome God. And everything is possible for the one who believes. Church, I don't want us to have this if-you-can type of faith. This if-you-can type of faith can be a faith can be a faith that's dead. So I want us to really think about how we can overcome this if-you-can attitude. And let's change it to everything is possible for the one who believes. And that is only possible through the sacrifice of Jesus. Let's pray. Father God... Oh, man. Lord, you are awesome, God. Um, it is an honor. It is a privilege, Lord, to be able to serve you and honor you. Is it, is it a privilege to stand before your people right now, God? It is, an, it is an honor. And I pray, Lord, as we think about the cross and sacrifice that your son died for us, Lord, that we can really take that to our heart and really think about what are some ways that I, can ha- that I can overcome this if-you-can faith. God, there's so many things in our life that we need to overcome through you. So I pray you help us to rely on you and to think about these things. Love you so much, Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
quite as tall as Kyle. Good morning, church. Uh, wasn't that a great uh, communion? I really appreciate, Kyle, just your vulnerability and just helping us to get to the cross. So thank you for that. Uh, my name is Justin Sharp. For those of you who don't know, uh, my beautiful wife and family were part of the Rancho Marrieds ministry. So a little shout out for us. Um, Today I wanted to help us to really think a lot about the offering today. And, uh, you know, I was thinking, you know, maybe some of us came in and uh, we drank too much coffee. So uh, I, want, I had a th- ushers. I wanted to throw out a couple handfuls of mints so I can get the ushers to do that. Uh, they're here somewhere. So hopefully they'll do that in a minute. Uh, as uh, ushers, can you guys hand out the mints? please. Uh, Go ahead and turn your Bibles over to Genesis chapter 4, and they'll throw out some mints as we're chatting a little bit here. Just throw out a couple handfuls. Okay, okay, that's probably good for, for that. Uh, So in Genesis chapter 4, you can follow along up here if you want. I know we're excited for mints. Uh, Now Abel kept flocks, starting in verse 2, and Cain worked the soil. And in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruit of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought the fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock, The Lord looked down on favor with Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. And I also have the ushers. If you could, uh, on bag number two, if you could throw out some candy for people. So if you have a mint, what I would ask right now is to not take the candy that's being thrown out right now. Okay, okay, that's probably good. That's probably good. We don't get too crazy in here. And then I want to look at one other passage over in Luke chapter 21, and that's up there as well, uh, starting in verse 1. And this is Jesus, and he's kind of hanging out at church service, the temple one day, and he was just kind of watching people as they were giving their offering. It says, as he looked up in verse 1, as he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting in their gifts into the temple treasury, he also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. I tell you the truth, he said, this poor widow has put in in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. So uh, bag number three, ushers, go ahead and throw out bag number three to some people. Get the front up here. These guys are struggling. They need some candy. Mike, Mike's kind of sour. He needs some candy. Give, give Mike some candy. Okay, okay, that's good. That's good. Okay, shh. I only got five minutes, guys. Shh. So for some of us today, maybe you guys... Um, 
didn't get any candy. I'm sorry. Maybe some of you guys got some mints today. Maybe some of you guys got some Tootsie Rolls or regular candy. And some of us, you guys got some good stuff. And you're probably thinking, right, when we're handing out the mints, they're like, man, why is he giving us mints? It's kind of lame, right? Or maybe you're looking at a Tootsie Roll, you're like, yeah, that's, that's okay, that's some good candy. Uh, but then when I handed out the good stuff, for some of you that got the good stuff, you're like, yeah, this is the candy that we're talking about. And, and what I want us to think about is that that's how we can be if we're not careful with God. Some of us, we don't give anything to God. Some of us, we only give them mints. And others of us, we give Tootsie Rolls. But I believe God wants the best. He wants the Butterfingers. Those are my favorite. (laughs) Right? So as we give today, I want us to think about it. And I want to close with just a quote from Dave Ramsey. I think it's a really interesting quote. It says, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. And I want to encourage you today, as we give to God, doesn't God deserve our best? Let's, let's give Him our best today. So let's go to God in prayer. Uh, Father in heaven, we, we come before you and we ask that you would really uh, bless this offering that we're about to give. God, please move our hearts. Father, it's not about the amount that we give. Because the poor widow, she gave two pennies. It's about the heart. And I pray today, God, that our hearts, we give a Butterfinger's worth of giving. That we give our best because we realize you're worth the best. You're worthy of our best to you. Help us to not be like Cain and just gave something, but to really give our best. God, we love you so much. Please bless this offering in Jesus' name. Amen. And if there's candy in the back, ushers will put it in the back. So if you didn't get some candy, you get some candy. And as we're doing the pass, I wanted to uh, share a couple of announcements. Uh, as Jake alluded to, uh, May 21st is our special contribution. But on May 20th, we're going to be doing the Peace Walk. And I know we're going to have uh, flyers or pamphlets in the back. So it's, and it's just a great way to raise money or raise more money to really help special missions, which that's going to go for some needs here in the congregation to help with our building. Uh, and a lot of it's going to be helping with needs over in the Middle East. Uh, also, next Saturday, I believe, there's a mother and daughter tea. Is that correct? Next Saturday or this Saturday. Uh, so please make preparations to, to go to that if you haven't. Uh, and then also we're doing camp registration, uh, preteen and youth camp 5th through 8th grade. Uh, please register for that. And then also teen camp, uh, just to make you aware that at the end of this month, they're closing registration uh, for teen camp. So make sure you register. And all that information is on the website, so you can go there. Uh, go ahead and stand, and we'll sing a song and getting ready for Steve to preach a great sermon. All right, since we're doing some lessons about the church for the time being, we're going to sing in the kingdom to get ourselves fired up. Amen.
right, here we go, church. Are you standing in the place that will stand forever? Nathan, he goes, 
today's a big day. I said, why? He says, today my people won their independence from France. I go, what are you talking about, your people? We get to have nachos today in school. That's what you're happy about. <laughs> uh, I do want to hold up the congregation for giving to hope worldwide, but I'll take ownership. I gave the wrong video. Thank you for giving to hope at the end of last year. That video had nothing to do with special contribution. <laughs> but it was encouraging that we give to hope, and hope is awesome, man. We do incredible stuff with hope. Hope, oh, so much good news. But we are changing the world through evangelism and preaching and sacrifice and church planting. And, uh, you know, yesterday I was riding with Mike to our L.A. uh, ministry leaders uh, time. Uh, We meet once a a month with with each region of the L.A. church, an evangelist, an elder. Our region has two evangelists, Mike and I, that go. And we just try to stay unified, come up with plans to unify the L.A. church. But what was cool is on the way, uh, Mike made a phone call. uh, It was amazing, the technology, you know, just presses a button. And he has Mufid uh, Tomb in uh, Beirut on his, you know, speed dial. And here we are driving in the truck in California, talking to, uh, you know, straight to Beirut, talking to Mufid. And it was just cool talking to him and making plans for the summer conferences and various needs going on. They're going to be in Cairo and just a lot of stuff going on. But it was just cool to think how we're working side by side across the whole world. Amen? And that is what special is about. It's about advancing the kingdom of God beyond the borders of our little building right here and, and into the world, which we have been doing and are continuing to do. Amen? It's great news. Uh, however, I do want to let you know that for the special missions offering this year... We're really excited that, uh, you know, we now own this building. It's been a prayer. A lot of people, it was a dream to have a, a, just one set place that we could meet at. And I have a little, a little treat for you guys in the, in the Rancho group. One of our brothers, Abraham, who is a design major, interior design major, he, we asked him if he could do a mock-up of the building. So here is, to scale the lobby, what it's going to look like. All right? Awesome. Let's go to the next one. This is the lobby. Now, we can design on the exact colors. He, he came up with what he recommends, and of course he does this for a living. So we can build it like this. He put a little coffee area in there. We can make it bigger or smaller. Go to the next one. Okay, that's another angle. As you can see, the stairs going upstairs and sort of the view, the double doors. Next one. All right, that's the, that would be the back corner way over there. Um, okay, awesome. Next one. Isn't that cool? Entry, enter in. You see our church sign right there. And that actually is, if you walk in, that would be looking. Go back to that one. Yes, if you walk in the front door, that's to the right. That would be an entrance, an entrance on the far right that will go up onto uh, storage or on the stage. And that will just be right now where the food is at, where we have a little welcome table. That's how uh, a vision of how it could look. And that's the exact dimensions of what it will be. So that we can build it and it would look just like that based upon uh, the size of the, uh, the lobby right now. He's going to work on the auditorium and some of the children's, maybe one of the children's ministry rooms. But next one. Okay, another angle of it. Next one. I think that's it. Awesome. Thank you, Abraham. Awesome job, man. Isn't that pretty cool? Okay, so that, that is the actual lobby right there. The, the, the vision I want you guys to have. We've got to live by faith here. We've got to have a vision of what it's going to be like. Uh, if you have suggestions or ideas... Hey, we're in that stage right now where we're coming up with things, all right? So uh, I'm all ears. Mike and I, let us know what you think. Abraham's helping us come up with design. 
and it's very, very cool. So I'm excited about the future. Part of our special this year, not just the Rancho group, but the Desert Cities, as well as the Riverside group, they are 100% supporting us getting this building. It's owned by the Inland Empire region of the L.A. Church. Amen? It's our, our worship facility. We're going to use it for concerts, of course, our Sunday services. We're going to use it for classes, workshops, whatever we want to do. And the whole region is behind this. Amen? That's encouraging. I want to urge us, as, as a Rancho group, let's come through big time. Whatever we send to the Middle East, we're, we're going to hit our goal for the Middle East. But the, the goal really is to go above that to meet the needs of our local advancing. And, and for years, we've, we've hired couples to strengthen and build those other churches. This year, the decision is, hey, we need a stable place in our Rancho Church. All the other parts of the region are behind that. We, this year, we're getting the primary benefit. I want to ask all of us, let's come through with special missions. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, I want to transition to our lesson today on the church. We're doing a series on the church. We've done one on su- last Sunday and on Wednesday. Today, the title is The Church, Who is in it? All right, let's go to God in prayer. We're going to talk about this. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this opportunity to be here to worship you to spend time thinking about how great you are, to allow your words through song to move our hearts. Uh, Father, thank you for the worship. Father, thank you for Kyle sharing his heart and how we need you to overcome our lack of faith at times. And Father, thanks for Justin just challenging us and sharing us uh, really the heart to give our best. Um, and God, we really want to be your church. We want to be in your church. We want to understand it. We want to pass along the message that you've given us. Today, help our minds be open to the message you have for us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, this is a great question. The church, who is in it? And, and that's kind of the question you always want to know because across the globe today, Christianity is very, you know, large, one of the largest religions in the world, uh, if not the largest. Um, we've got in America... About 75 to 80% of people in America claim a faith or a belief, roughly that, that statistic, in Jesus. Uh, there are Christian churches on every street corner, uh, in every state, all over the United States, all over the world. So, but, but there's a lot of conflict and a lot of strange things, and you're not quite sure. Hey, you know, here's the church, but who, who's really the church that God wants us to be? Are, are, is it just one small little church on the corner like that? Is it bigger? And last week we tried to talk about how the church, it is, it is the kingdom of God. That's another name for it. And, and it expands all around the world. How the church is the body of Christ. That the church is, we are Jesus. By, by being in His church, the church is the visible um, reality of Jesus. Because He's no longer on earth. But, but we're here and He's working in the people through our collective unity and our collective talents to reveal His nature, right? The body of Christ. Um, we learned that the church is the bride of Christ. Man, we've got to cherish our bride, right? Just like He did. And of course, the church is the family. We really are a family. It's the family of God. And the thought comes to mind, well, who, who's really in the church? I mean, who comprises the church? What do the Scriptures teach? And I want to put before us two concepts. The first is this. And we're going to read it. it truth is very clear and very narrow. It, it, it's, it's not like everyone who just says, oh, I'm in the church, is in the church. Bi- the Bible's very clear on what it takes to be in the church, who's saved, who's not. The Bible talks about it. 
However, the judge, the final judge of that is God himself, not us. And I want to appeal to us to, to really learn what is right and not so much worry about who is right. I'm going to, I put it up there to get us thinking about it, but I want us to be a non-judgmental group. I want us to be a, a church that holds to the truth, believes in the truth, follows the truth, and teaches the truth. But, but we're careful to not make blanket statements about, you know, hey, that whole church, that whole group, they're all lost. You've got to be careful of making a statement like that. Uh, it, it really doesn't accomplish anything. What, what we have to have is the heart of Jesus. And when Jesus was asked multiple times, hey, who's saved? Who's saved? He, he was very strategic in what he said and how he said it. So we're going to look at it and explore it today. We're not going to be able to cover every detail of this idea or answer every single question. That's for you to go after your study of the Bible and come to a wisdom, a conviction between you and God. of What does what the right church look like? And am I in it? And who is in it? And who isn't in it? Amen? Ultimately, ultimately, it's God making the decision. But let's look at a few things about it. Amen? First verse I want to put on the board for you is 1 Timothy 2. I I read this one on Wednesday night at our midweek. So who's in the church? It says, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So, So who does God want in his church? All people. And what's awesome is in his church are all people, people of all different races, of all different backgrounds. Uh, you, you can get a good glimpse of, of God's church when you look in L.A. and you see the Los Angeles uh, metropolis and you can go with Inland Empire, how mixed race it is. And that's what the church should look like, right? He wants all people in his church. He wants them all to be saved. He doesn't make judgments about the things people make judgments about. Man, we are valuable in his eyes, and he wants us all to be there. His heart is for everyone, everyone, every nationality, race, no matter what your background, your upbringing. He doesn't care. Typically, we find many verses that the people that make it into the kingdom are the ones that recognize their need for God. Sadly, in America, we're a wealthy nation, and things, a lot of people have life going well, and we just don't recognize our need for God. The people who are in the church are those who see they have a need. All right, there's a humble heart about it. Now, here's the thing. He wants everybody to be there. However, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So he wants everyone to, to be saved. But even those that came to church, learned about Jesus, and said, Jesus, you're the Lord, he says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, meaning he's the Lord, is actually going to make it. And I mentioned this on Wednesday. Oh, that's a scary, that's a scary proposition. But, but I think it's realistic. We know that you have to do more than pay lip service to Jesus. He's expecting a relationship. And... We all know that relationship is a lot more than just what you say. Relationship has to do with what you do, who you really are. I know in my marriage, uh, my love language is words of affirmation and carries our acts of service. If all I ever do to express love and commitment to her is just what I say, it's just not going to mean very much to her. 
She expects there to be follow-through. She expects there to be acts of service. When she sees that kind of thing, she, she receives and grasps that I do love her. There's got to be more than what we say. Amen? Jesus is clear on that. He goes on, it's only you who does the will of my Father. So, not everyone who just says, I want to be in there, just gets to be in there. So, who's in the church right now? Here we have a church. We're all at a church service. There's, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of church services. But not everyone who's saying, Lord, Lord, actually does God look at you and go, you're in the church. Are you doing the will of the Father who's in heaven? That's a good question. Matthew 18, verse 3 says, And he said, truly I tell you, unless you change... And become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow. Alright, so the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, same thing, The church is the church. Now it's beyond the church, he's talking about, we're going to get to this when we talk about faith, how there's a perseverance aspect of being in the kingdom eternally when we leave earth. But you, you're not even going to enter the kingdom, you know you cannot enter the church... Unless you enter it like a child that says, hey, you've got to change. And, and what did I say before? Admit, I, I have a need. I, I need you, God. I recognize. You've got to see that you need God like a child. Or you'll never enter the kingdom. And there's more to that, too, right? The heart of a child. The minds of a child. The faith of a child. Or you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Amen? So, there are many other verses. But I want to land on one before we hit four basic practicals. Luke chapter 13, verse 22. Please turn with me. I'm not going to put this one on the board. Luke chapter 13, verse 22. I want to read this with you guys. All right? And scroll down. The narrow door. Who gets to be saved? Who gets to enter the kingdom of God? Who is in the the one church when God looks down? He knows who's in that church. He might look at all the little Sunday gatherings, and he knows who's in the church, his church. He looks across the globe. And he was asked this question, a very interesting question, in, in Luke chapter 13, verse 22. Alright, so we're going to begin to read there. Everyone there? Alright, look off your neighbor if you don't have it. It says, Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? All right, let's stop real quick. Why did he, why do you think they asked that question? Lord, are, are only a few going to be in your kingdom? Are only a few going to be saved? I don't get it. Well, it says he was making his way to Jerusalem teaching. Something about his teaching must have given them the inkling, this is not easy. Whoa, what, hey, what are you talking about, Jesus? Are, I, I mean, this is crazy, the stuff you're saying. Are really only a few going to make it? And what he says is very interesting. He says, verse 24, he said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you. Or where you come from. Similar to the Matthew verse that we read. Then you will say, We ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth. 
When you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out, people will come from east and west and north and south, because he wants everyone to be saved, and they will be there from every nation and every background. And they will take their places at the feast of the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first, and first who will be last. The narrow door. Jesus is the gatekeeper of the narrow door. And they asked him, who's going to make it, Lord? And he doesn't say, okay, well, here's who's going to make it. You've got to do A, B, C, D, and E. Then you'll do that, and then I'll stamp your card, and you're in. He says, make every effort to enter the narrow door. It's not going to be that easy. Many are going to try. But, listen, you've got to be all in. You've got to really go for it. You've got to make every effort. And, and, of course, that is hearkening back to his teachings about what it means to be a disciple. That, that he's asking us to give up our very selves to him, to use our lives to influence people. To use our lives for his glory. That we say, yes, Jesus, I am your disciple. Right? The narrow door is the disciple door. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. The narrow door, without question, is the disciple door. He was very clear about the call to total surrender, total commitment, total giving of oneself into the hands of Jesus for his message and his ways. He's the ultimate judge. And we all, oh, yeah, Steve, well, how do I know if I'm really there? What is that really involved? How do I really know? You know, it is about grace and truth. You cannot earn it. We're going to talk about that. You cannot earn it because you're good enough. I mean, eternity, how, how can something that's not eternal, a human life, we can't earn something eternal on our own. God created that. It's a gift He's going to make available and has made available to the human race. But He gives it to those He chooses to give it to. And He gives it to those who respond. And we're going to hit the way you respond. There's a way to respond, to receive the free gift, to enter into the kingdom. But the, de- the door is narrow. So the question then is, who's saved and who's lost? Who's really in the church? We know it's narrow. We know He wants all people in it. But we know not everyone who says they want to be in it, or even thinks they're in it, is actually in it. How should, how should we respond to that? Here's the thing. It, God doesn't want us to walk around in fear of eternal damnation. But He also doesn't want us to walk around deceived and hypocritical and being like, hey, I've been in church since I was a kid. I'm good. I'm saved. I'm, I'm saved. I'm fine. The scriptures teach there's got to be a humility, a, a working out of our salvation. And what we find is that even the concept of salvation and being saved is, is not just a one-time thing. There is an, a, a, a requirement to persevere. There is a, you're saved of, from your sin temporarily, but then you're also saved of it repetitively throughout your life. You're saved of your sin, meaning God wipes it away, but then... You know, he does expect us to live righteous lives in faithfulness to God so that his grace will be applied to us when we die. You don't earn it, but you can't walk around just arrogantly thinking, oh, I'm good to go, without a heart of brokenness like a child, always eager to change. The word disciple, what does it mean? It means learner. A learner. I wasn't really going to have you answer. Disciples are in the church. That's who's in the church. Disciples of Jesus. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you're a learner. 
You want to learn. You want to grow. And you'll never stop growing and learning. A disciple is someone who says, I want to grow and I want to learn the heart of a child. But I do have four basic things. They're not new for a lot of us, but I want to hit one of them a little more in depth than maybe you've seen before. About sort of the the, the keys to entering into the kingdom. Amen? So let's look at those. All right? The four things I want to hit. Saved equals being in the church. All right? And I got four things that we find in the scriptures. You got to have faith to be saved, to be in the church. You got to have repentance to be saved, to be in the church. You got to be baptized to be saved, to be in the church. And you must have perseverance to be saved and be in the church. It's the same thing. We're going to look at these in detail. Amen? Number one, faith. Faith is really important. We, we read about it over and over and over and over again. You need faith. Faith is what saves us. All right? But let's explain this a little bit. I want to read a very popular verse, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Now, I'm not going to put any of these on the board, so go ahead and, and turn to it if you'd like to read it with me. All right? Ephesians 2, verse 8. It says, It is by grace... You have been saved. And this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. The gift that God gives us is this opportunity for salvation. It's by grace. It's a, a, he just decides, I'm going to give a free gift to the human race. But you receive it through faith. Alright, you do receive a free gift through faith. But we're going to define what faith is, okay? Now, faith is not merely intellectual understanding. All right, I want to get into this a little bit more in depth. What is faith? Faith is three things. All right, next slide. Faith is three things, and we're going to look at Hebrews 11, 6. All right, next slide says, faith is... Can we go to the next slide? Okay, there we go. Faith is belief, for sure. Faith is trust, and faith is obedience. Biblically... You do not have saving faith unless you have a faith that involves all three of these. This then explains all the verses where Jesus says, how can you say, Lord, Lord, and yet you're not going to make it in the kingdom? They clearly have intellectual belief. But let's turn to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, where we find, I think, the, really the best biblical definition of what faith is in, in, the, in the scripture about faith. All here in Hebrews 11 is describing what real saving faith looks like, we see in verse 6. It says, And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. By faith, we're saved. But it says, what is that faith? Hey, faith is has to believe that God's real. Now, here's the thing, you know, Satan believes that Jesus is real. He knows Jesus is the Son of God. Satan knows Jesus died for the sins of mankind. The spiritual forces of evil all know that. A a component of biblical faith is an intellectual belief, an understanding, an awareness, and even a sense of, hey, this is true. But that alone is not saving faith. The Scripture goes on to say, Anyone who has faith, he says, must believe he exists and earnestly, right, he goes, and earnestly seeks, right, those who earnestly seek him. And he says also, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So where's the trust part? You know that he's going to reward your, your understanding. There's a sense of trust. 
There's a sense of, I'm willing to give myself completely to this. There's a sense of, I'm willing to surrender my life. I trust you. I trust Jesus died on the cross and paid for my sin. I trust that because I give myself to the same thing. And then I earnestly seek you, God. That's the obedience. Without all three, it's not a saving faith. And now, I want to read a verse, James 2.22, one of my favorite verses. It's an interesting verse. It it, it describes a little bit of why you can't just have this intellectual belief, and, and it confirms it even from the Old Testament to the New. And he's talking about Abraham when he sacrificed Isaac on the altar, or when he attempted to. And it says, you see, verse 22, his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. That's what James 2.22 says. Real faith carries with it obedience. It is not real faith if obedience does not combine with it. In fact, it says it's incomplete, not accurate, not complete. But through obedience, when Abraham sacrificed Isaac, went, was ready to sacrifice him in obedience to God, it says that at that moment, the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and was, it was credited to him as righteousness. Are we saved by faith? Yes, that's right. There are a lot of verses that say that in the Bible. But, you, but don't be deceived about what real saving faith is. Amen, church? Growing up, this posed a major problem for me. And I've shared the story. I remember being a teen at a, um, at a teen camp. Um, and I was interested in girls, and I was not a Christian, but I was interested in what it meant to really be Christian. Although I was told I was a Christian when I was like 12. But, but I knew in my heart, I just wasn't taking it serious. But I remember going to this teen camp, and I remember all the, the, the teens were asking the ministers questions. One of the questions came up, hey, can I um, have sexual, you know, sexual interaction, maybe it's just kissing or petting or crossing some sexual lines, maybe not full sex, but can I do some small things with my, with my girlfriend and still go to heaven? And I'll never forget that I was like, oh, that's, I want to know that because I, I don't like the fact that here's people saying they're Christians, but they act just like my buddies who were, try, were not even trying to be Christians. And I remember when the minister, he goes, yeah, you can. And I thought, I mean, we do, we do sin, but I don't think that was, that was the right answer. It's just, it, what it did, here's what it did. It hurt my, a lot of people thought, oh, that'll help my faith. No, it hurt my faith. Clearly God doesn't want us to do that. Are you, are you going to hell because you did that? I did that so many times. I, I could recount my sin for hours to you, and, it, and I wouldn't be done when I was a young guy. And throughout my life, I was a sinful man. So clearly God has grace for you. But the call is to truly have a, a true faith would be an obedient faith. The right answer is no, you cannot. Galatians 5 says, if you continue to live like this, right? And he's talking about impurity and sexual immorality. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. The minister should have just turned to that verse and said, read Galatians 5, 19 through 21. I would have read it and been like, okay, you can't do that, right? It's clear. You can't do that. Now, is there grace? Have we all done that or done some stuff? But, but there's damage and pain and it leads you to actually losing your soul, which is, we're, we're hit on the perseverance here at the end. You guys with me? Faith is step one. We got to have faith to be saved and to be in the church. People got to have a real faith, not just Part one, it's got to be all three parts. Amen? Okay, step two. Step two is repentance. And we find this verse, I read this as well on Tuesday night, 
uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. As a congregation, as a, a fellowship of churches of Christ, we all know this verse, right? Churches of Christ teach this, have taught it for 200 years. It's biblical, it's right, it's accurate, it's thorough. It is the keys to enter into the kingdom. The first Sunday morning sermon, when Peter stands up to preach, how do you get in the church? And all the people want to know, how do you get in the church? And when they understand who Jesus is, and they say, what do we do? I want to respond. I have faith. He tells them what to do. How do you respond to faith in Jesus? Acts 2, verse 38. And I'll read it to you. Peter replied, repent and be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Later, in Acts chapter 26, as Paul is talking about how to be saved, he says, as he's explaining to the governor the way he's teaching people to be saved, he says, first, to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and to the Gentiles, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. Amen? Repentance. What is repentance? Repentance is to change your life. It's to change everything. All right? Repentance is to change your mind and change your heart. Repentance is crucial. You're not going to be saved without real repentance in your life. You need real repentance. And repentance is a real change. Um, different versions of the Bible have it in there. Um, do I have that on the next slide? I don't think I do. Go to the next slide. Okay, no, let's go back. Uh, another version just says it really clear. Hey, you, you know, you've got to change the way you think and change the way you live to enter into the kingdom of God. There is a change necessary. Real change and transformation. It can't be fake. That's why we don't want people thinking I'm become a part of the church just because I'm, I'm joining a new club. It's not about joining a club. Would any of us dare to get married just to, to say we're married? Or, sadly, sometimes, you know, we might get married for the wrong reason. Maybe to get our citizenship or help somebody else get their citizenship. Not a good reason, right? It's actually illegal to do that. Not a good plan. All right? You wouldn't want to do that. It's not accurate. It's not right. It's not real. And being right with God is about an accurate and real relationship, and that involves real repentance. Amen? We all want to experience that. It was great to hear Kyle... I remember when Kyle, even though he grew up in the church as a, a kingdom kid and his sin, you know, if you, mat, you, if you matched up my sin, it would go from the floor to the ceiling. His would barely go past the top of the rug relative to me. But he knew, I need God. It's not relative to me, it's relative to Jesus. And his conscience was more sensitive. So he sinned plenty and he felt guilty and he knew, I need to change. I've been living a double life. I'm faking it. Of course, compared to me, I'm like... <laughs> Oh my gosh, you're a saint, you know, compared to me. I remember when he told me all his sin, I was like, yeah, that's terrible, you know. <laughs> it is bad. It was bad. And, and amen. It's compared to what Jesus did and he died for us, it is. But here's the thing. All of us, no matter where we're at, have to have a real transformation. Number three. How do you get into the church? Baptism, without question, is a part of it. I have one verse on the wall. Now, here's the thing. A lot of evangelical churches, a great portion, not all of them, but, but I, I don't know the exact percentage, but a majority of evangelical churches do not teach baptism accurately. They, they just teach it uh, incorrectly. 
Uh, a lot of that is an overreaction to Catholicism and the Protestant Reformation where Martin Luther came along. They, they overreacted to the works-based salvations of, of the Catholic Church of the early first thousand years of the, or 1500 years of the church. And the overreaction was to, to then teach about baptism incorrectly. However, all the early first hundred years, church fathers taught accurately. You can go study that. All the, old, the scriptures are so filled with evidence that you actually receive forgiveness of sins at your baptism. Not because of your baptism. Remember, the, why are we saved? Because of God's grace and kindness through faith. But when? At our baptism. All right? Colossians 2.12 is the clearest, one of the clearest verses. Let me show it to you. How do we know this is a part of when you enter into the church? Having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through your faith. When you go under the water, you have faith. Remember, faith involves trust and obedience. You have faith to go under the water. You have faith that God sent His Son to die for you. So when you come up, it says your faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead, you are raised with Him. That's what he's talking about. You are raised by faith when? In your baptism. That's when the efficacy of the blood of Jesus takes place in your life. That's when you're saved. Not because you got dunked in water. If it was about just getting dunked, we would get the, everyone, we'd have a gym at the church. And then we'd have everybody get really buff and strong so we could forcibly dunk everybody on the street, right? And, and it would just be, Mike would love it. He would use his wrestling skills and he would just grab people and we would forcibly dunk them. Why? Because we're supposed to save souls. And if getting dunked, if it's, a, if it's just about the water, right? But we know it's about faith at that time. It's a decision, a personal decision. It's the way you respond in faith. So it's not a work. It's an act of faith. You guys with me? We know this. But let's be clear on it. Now, here's a very interesting thing. Controversial. The question might come up, what if you did all three things I just talked about? Faith, repentance, and baptism. But you didn't understand the accurate teaching about what's happening at your baptism. Are you saved or lost? And let me tell you, the scriptures don't tell us. And I've sought the wisest guys that I know. Gordon Ferguson thinks, you got it, that you're, you're not saved. Based on my understanding of his Gordon's one of our teachers. He thinks you should have an intellectual understanding of what you're doing for it to, for it to be correct. Judge Jacoby thinks that that may not be the case. Right? He's another great teacher in our fellowship. He thinks, well, maybe God, there's a, there's a small place in there where that's not the case. Let it be God. It's just not super clear. The scriptures don't specifically say you must have you know, total perfect cognizance of every last detail of what's going on for it to be actually effective. So, I put it before you, we're not, it's, it's one of those things where there's a little bit of room there for let's not be judgmental. I, for one, I'm like, I, I don't see how I could feel good about my entering into the church if, if I, and, and how I could teach it to people if I myself didn't understand what I was doing when, when I went through it. If, if I had it mixed up, I'd be like, I didn't get it. And that is the case with me. I got baptized when I was 12 years old uh, in a Christian church, and the reason I got baptized is because all people get baptized. That was why. I didn't know why. I didn't understand it. And I certainly didn't understand living like a disciple. And I also didn't, didn't repent. So when I got baptized, it was, just a, really, it was just a religious act. But for me, it, it didn't involve faith. I didn't resurrect to a new life. I didn't understand what I was doing. And so I, I, that wasn't my real baptism. My real baptism was at age 23 
when I understood the things I just taught you and made the decision and got baptized October, 20, uh, October 15, 1990. By faith, I died in the water and came up to a new life. Amen? Uh, but I want you to hear, there, there is an area there where there's some question. We can talk about it more. I don't, I don't have all the answers. John Oakes in San Diego, one of our best teachers, as well, is, he, he basically says, I'm not sure about that. It's difficult. Why would we want to, though, hold on, hold on to a, a, a salvation that we're not really sure how we did it? It would seem a good-hearted person. But as a church, I, I think we've got to be very accepting and loving and, and trusting of people, teaching the truth while not being judgmental or arrogant. You guys with me? The last point I want to make about who's in the church is, you know, you do have to persevere. You know, there's so many... The whole book of Hebrews talks about... You know, we could actually lose this thing. It's, it's like a relationship. I could wreck my relationship with my wife. The Bible says God hates divorce. He doesn't want that to happen. But it is a possibility. It is a possibility. There's nowhere in the scriptures where it teaches you the steps of if you do this, 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 and this, then at that moment you are now not in a relationship with me any longer. It leaves that silent. But sin leads to it. Something about sin will wreck your relationship with God. But he expects us to persevere. And I'll just close out with this verse, one I think one of the most encouraging verses. We need to understand that salvation, we get it at our baptism because of our faith and repentance through the grace of Jesus. But ultimate salvation entering into the kingdom does have to do with hanging in there and remaining faithful like Kevin Maines until the day God takes us. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 36 says, You need, church, to persevere. So that when you have done the will of God, you'll receive what He has promised. For in just a little while, He who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure... In the one who shrinks back. But we, Inland Empire Church, do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Amen. Amen. Well, Steve, great job. I know this is, this is such an important topic for us to be covering as a church, but specifically even this one about who is in the church. You know, I, I give the challenge sometimes to some of the people I study the Bible with. I know Yellow Pages don't really show up at your doorstep anymore. But I don't know if you've ever opened up a Yellow Pages and turned to the word church. Do it, you could you do Google Maps it sometime. Google Maps right around your home, type in the word church and see what pops up. I guarantee you within 15 miles, there's probably over 100 churches within your home. With that being the case, what we, what we were talking about today is so important for us to be clear on when it comes to the truth. Because is every place that says it's a church, just because it slapped the word church on the sign in front of it, does that make it what God wants? And are we doing things in the way that honors God. Have we followed the scriptures to make sure that we are a part of the church the way that God wants us to be? And this is not something we can afford to just skim over and just 
kind of hope it all figures itself out. This is something, whether you've been a disciple for decades, whether you've, you're showing up to church for the first time, we have got to be clear on in the Bible. This is not a subject we can afford to just hope goes well. And so I hope you're paying attention. If not, it will be, you know, the, the sermon will be online. Take time to go through this. But this is something that has a conviction. We need to make sure as a church we are very clear that we are doing things in a way that brings God the glory. Amen? Because we want to help people to be a part of God's church. All right? So um, I don't think there's any more announcements today, right? We're all done? Okay. So just want to make clear, because the Peace Walk is in two weeks, there are some more packets in the back if you would like to pick one up. This is something, church, we want, we want to go about, as Steve was talking about, the special is largely going to benefit us this year. That means as a Rancho Church, we need to give sacrificially. We need to give faithfully. Amen? So the Peace Walk is a great way to even go maybe above and beyond what you pledge to give as a family. The packets, there's some right there. I think there's some in the lobby. But let's really go after making this, uh, making this an awesome year with special, okay? So let's go ahead and stand on up. We're going to have one more song to close out our service, and then you will be dismissed.
please pick up any communion cups on the ground. Please do not leave the communion cups on the ground.